one's lost uh, Lexus keys, they're at the back. Of the ah, and if anybody has lost some Lexus keys, they are at the back. If it's a gift to the church, that's amazing as well. You're so generous. <laughs> but if you are looking for your keys, they'll also be there. Great, so don't worry about walking down. Yes, Finn and the crew. Beautiful chairs over here. Um, and there's also benches as well, if you would like to have the higher view. Brilliant. So last week we had uh, Vickers in the house with us. If you missed it, if you were traveling or anything like that, please do check it out uh, online on YouTube uh, or on podcast. It was brilliant to be able to uh, just hear from him and what they're up to uh, in Canada as well. And I, I just really, I really had on my heart, if you're here for the first time and you are exploring faith, maybe you've been invited by a friend, uh, something like that, um, I just want to say thank you for coming and thank you for the courage to, to step out and come. I think it's huge to be able to walk through the doors of a church, to come into a place that you don't know, to come and join some fairly wacky people, but we're family. Uh, Colin is very normal, I promise. Even if he showed some strange um, characteristics up here, it's really normal. No, Cole, you were great. Uh, but I just want to say well done, and thank you for your courage. Um, it's, it's huge. And I keep meeting people each week saying, oh, I invited a friend, or this is my first time, or I haven't been to church since I was, uh, went to an Anglican service uh, at you know, an upper six, and I haven't set foot, and it takes huge courage. So well done and thank you for that. Sound men, am I buzzing? Should I take another mic or is it okay? Is it fine? Ah, oh, thank you. Great, I'll take it. Perfect. So uh, today I wanted to cover what we have there. Um, I've put up there, desperate faith, radical love and supernatural breakthrough. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Mark 5. Uh, verse 21. We're going to continue uh, where Vickers left off. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. If you're looking for a good Bible, we have some at the back. Um, I would hi highly recommend getting a study Bible. I love mine. It's one that when I don't understand a passage, there's amazing notes to find better understanding. It speaks about introductions in the books. Uh, it's really exciting to get. Um, but if you don't have the resources for one, we can make a plan for you. But today we're going to look at the story of two people desperate for a supernatural touch from God. For both, it would mean being vulnerable, it would mean risking the opinion of others, and believing that Jesus truly was who he said he was. And as both took a step of faith, Jesus met them at their point of greatest need. And maybe you're feeling like that today. I don't know what's happened in your week, I don't know what's happening in your life, I'm not sure how relationships are going, I don't know what it's like in the marketplace, but one thing I do know is that Jesus meets us at our point of need if we're prepared to take a step towards him. And that's what he's so often waiting for. He's reaching out and he wants to connect with us, but he's waiting for us to turn our gaze and say, actually, God, I'm going to take a step towards you. And our lives are often this crazy kaleidoscope. I don't know if you track your life from as far as you can remember up until now. For some, that will be further to remember than for others. Uh, even for me, it's a bit murky in my early years. But if you could track back, our lives are this blend, sort of this kaleidoscope of joy and sorrow, um, of celebration and of disappointment, of, uh, of heartache and, and immense uh, joy, of highs and lows, celebration, frustration. And that's the life that we live. 
That's the world in which we live. That's what these people that we're going to look at today were in. But through it all, Jesus works and weaves this beautiful plan in our lives. Our hope is in him, and we look towards the day when he's going to make everything right when we get to see him face to face. And if you're here visiting and you don't have a faith in Christ, our hope is not in this world as Christ follows. Sure, we live it, but our focus is on the next it truly is, because that's the world that's forever. And so we're part and parcel of this world, and we want to make an impact in this, and God calls us to things, but our focus is on the next. And so I trust this passage in the Gospel of Mark is going to give you an amazing picture of Jesus' love towards us, His power and supremacy in the world, and will build faith for you to see Him work in your life. We're going to pray for you on the back of that. So let's dive in. Verse 21 is going to be up there. It says, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. For those of you with us last week, he had done some incredible things on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He had seen a demon-possessed man set free, and this man was then sharing the faith in that area, a place that the Jewish people uh, didn't go to at all. And so he's arrived back. And instantly, because of the work he's been doing, because of the healing he's been doing, the life change that's been, ha been happening, there's just crowds all over him. Uh, hysteria, paparazzi, you name it. If he was traveling in this day and age, there would have just been swarms of people on their motorbikes with cameras and crowds everywhere. He would have had to have bounces, those sorts of things. Uh, it, it was a crazy time. And uh, just imagine someone in town, imagine here in Arari, someone in town who there's documented thousands of people being healed and being set free from addictions. Imagine what that would generate just in our city. If people knew where that person was, Borodale Village, out at a restaurant, there would be swarms of people. We would be there. Anybody here searching for a breakthrough, searching for a touch would be there. And so this is huge, the amount of people that were around him. He would have been physically tired, emotionally strained, yet fully God at the same time. We didn't understand Jesus was God, fully God and fully human. And so he got tired. He got emotional as, as God does, as we do as people. And so he would have been with this crowd all around him also feeling slight level of apprehension at that. Um, it's, it's amazing for us to comprehend fully God and fully human. So that's the state he's at. Verse 22, we carry on. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, Jesus, he fell at his feet and he implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. He went with him. A great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Now, the rulers of the synagogue would help to run the Jewish places of worship. These were people um, who, who were involved in making the synagogue run as it should. They would teach from the Torah, and many of them were Pharisees. You might have heard that word before. The Pharisees were a sect within Judaism. They were a group of people, and they had large levels of decision-making power in the Jewish authorities. A lot of it's because they were businessmen in society. They were those of wealth and those of higher standing, and so they were able to generate a great following in and amongst society, amongst Judaism. And so, as we've seen in previous chapters as well, they were dead set against Jesus. So Jesus came to threaten everything that they stood for. The control they had in the synagogues, the power they had with the people, Jesus had uplifted that. He came to destroy that completely. And so, there was an unhealthy relationship between the two, which we've seen before, particularly with his claim to be God. And for that reason, they were very uh, large in the responsibility factor of having him crucified. 
The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were the ones who accused him of blasphemy and led to his execution. And so that's where Jairus comes out of. He comes out of the people absolutely opposing Jesus Christ in everything he stands for. But when crisis hits us, the things that we care about often shift. When a crisis happens in our lives, it often really gets us to think about what we stand for and why we stand for it. What we considered really important becomes petty. The people we try to impress are no longer a concern. Our desire for status gets thrown out the window. And what was happening to him is something that C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia and many others said in, in a famous book, The Problem of Pain. He said, we can ignore God in our pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. No doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to final and unrepented rebellion on one hand, but it gives the only opportunity that man can have for amendment. It removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. See, God hates suffering. He hates what he sees in the news that each of us follow each day. And one day he'll make it all right. But he also knows that it may be the only thing that might lead someone to search for the answer as to why there is suffering in the world. You see, sometimes suffering is the only thing that can bring attention to a desperate soul. Evolution can't answer suffering. Atheism can't answer suffering. But Jesus can. He shows a reason for the suffering in the world, and he gives an eternal solution to suffering in the world. And so if you've come with those questions, he's the right one to come to, and that's the place Jairus was at. Jairus hadn't found the answers in his status. He hadn't found the answers in his wealth. He would have been able to go to any physician. He would have been able to go anywhere in that day. He had any connections in society. None of them answered what he needed for his daughter. And that's what led Jairus to Christ. And so in front of hundreds, if not thousands of people on the banks of Lake Galilee with Jesus there at the front, he makes his way to Jesus, pushing through the crowd. And he would have probably been wearing his uh, Pharisee attire. People would have known exactly who he was. He would have had high standing in society, the one who shouldn't really be where Jesus is. And he falls down at Jesus' feet, a picture of surrender, a cry for mercy. And this would have taken great humility. He was prepared to come to Jesus regardless of what people might think, regardless of the cost. And friends, you can do that today. There's a cost in coming to Christ. There's a cost in worship of raising your hands when you never do it. There's a cost in when there's a call for prayer and what I love about our Hope family, people responding. There's a cost in putting your hand up to say, yeah, that's me. There's a cost in, in coming forward and saying, actually, no, I, I really need Jesus. But it's at that point when we step out, when we show this level of faith in God that he meets us and he does something amazing. And so Jairus comes and he says, my daughter's about to die. Please come and make her well. He's desperate for a miracle. He knows Jesus has healed others. He's heard it. He probably hasn't been in attendance, but he has heard it. And he knows that if Jesus desires to heal his daughter, he can and he will. Jesus doesn't say anything but he just goes with them. So you imagine there's thousands of people. This man comes and says, please help. And Jesus just follows. And so there would have been this throng of hundreds of people pursuing with Jesus. Jesus loves the humility and faith of this man. He loves that same humility and faith in us. And on their way to the school's house, on the way, something else happens. And this is where the second person joins into the story. Verse 25, there was a woman 
who had a just discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians. She had spent all that she had and no better, and she was no better, but rather she grew worse. And so on the way to Jairus' daughter, another lady is in great need. Now she's experienced, as it says there, 12 years of discharge of blood and she spent everything to try and get a positive result. And it says there, she suffered much but not just suffering because of the discharge of blood. You notice they suffered much under many physicians. It's almost too much to comprehend, but if we backtrack to that age of primitive medicine, my heart breaks to imagine what was done to her to try and solve this problem with people without an understanding. It's devastating to even think about what was tested out on her. She would have been emotionally humiliated and physically damaged. That's where this lady stood for 12 years. And on a side note, I want to say I appreciate doctors immensely. They've God-given talents to help us out in the most incredible ways. Jesus had high regard for doctors. He loved physicians. But there's a time when doctors can't help you. There really is. There's a time when doctors' solutions and earthly medicine actually can't solve what you need fixed. And only a supernatural God can. And that's the place that she was at. It's when you and I need a touch from Christ. And if we go a bit further into her world, in the times of Jewish people, she was considered, because of her discharge of blood, not her fault at all, unclean. And what unclean meant, according to Jewish laws, is that she would have to shout the words unclean, speak them out loud, anywhere she was in public so that nobody came close to her. Otherwise, she would risk punishment, she would risk payment, all those sorts of things. So she had to do it, whether she was at the shops, where she wasn't allowed in the synagogue because of her uncleanness, her permanent uncleanness. And so everywhere she went, she would have to say, unclean, unclean, and people would shy away from her. If she touched somebody's clothing, they were considered unclean, not even their body, their clothing. She couldn't enter the temple to worship. She would have been shunned by society, and she would live almost entirely in isolation. One of the most desperate places you can be in. It says, verse 27, she heard the reports about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately as she reaches out to touch him, the flow of blood dries up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. She was desperate. She had lived with this condition for 12 years. And in the age of instant gratification, that's quite hard for us to comprehend. We just want things solved and we want them solved now. And she spent 12 years desperate to see a change in her life. She risked public disgrace and punishment by pushing through people to get to Jesus. She made others ceremonially unclean as she brushed past them in order to reach the one who could make her truly clean. Amazing. She had the belief that if she could just touch his garment, she would be healed. I can imagine her going, he doesn't even need to look at me. He doesn't need to know who I am. He doesn't need to know anything about me. No one needs to know. I know that he can. I've heard the stories of what he's done in other people's lives, and he can do it for me. But I don't want the humiliation of not being healed again. I don't need the singling out again with another physician, with another person, and I go away disappointed, and I go away upset. But let me just touch him quietly, and maybe, just maybe, he'll make me well. I can imagine these things processing through her mind. And the moment she touched him, her constant flow of blood stops, and she knows she's healed. She knows instantly her body feels different. There's a wonder, there's a joy, 
And God still does that today. We've had amazing touches of God amongst us here. There's other testimonies beyond these doors. He's the healer. He's the life transformer. He's the freedom bringer. And I have such a sense he's going to do that for some of you even today. In fact, even as I share through this passage, as you feel your faith levels rise, as you feel your, but maybe God, you could do it for that lady who suffered for 12 years. Maybe, just maybe, you could touch me. Could be mental, could be emotional, could be physical. I almost have the sense that actually now as we preach, as we open up his word, he's going to touch some of you. We don't even have to pray for you, but actually as you listen with faith and you go, wow, God, you did it for her. It could happen for me again. He's actually going to do some things in people's bodies. Verse 30. And Jesus, so interesting, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately he turned about in the crowd and he said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, Jesus, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? I mean, they, they're just sort of just mocking him a bit. He's like, Jesus, this is just pathetic. I mean, what do you mean? How are you going to know who touched you? But he looked around to see who had done it. Now, Jesus knows everything. He was God in the flesh. He's fully God, fully man. Yet I love this phrase, perceiving in himself that power had gone out. It's almost as if the faith of this lady, this pure faith of this lady, was so close to the heart of God that there was almost just this instantaneous surge of his power out of him as he just responded, not subconsciously, but it was just this instantaneous burst of his power. It was as though he couldn't help but heal when this trembling hand of raw faith reached out to touch the Savior of the world. I love it. It was just like, I can't help healing this lady. She just has this beautiful faith. Once again, his disciples don't quite understand Jesus. They explain to him that he's pretty much asked a dumb question about who touched him. And I sit and go, do you guys never get this? He's been healing thousands of people. You've just been across on the other side of the lake to see him calm a storm with words from his mouth. He set a demon-possessed person absolutely free in their right mind, and yet you somehow think he can't know who's touched him. And, and this is what the disciples operated like again and again. They just never seemed to fully get who Jesus was even after what he had done. And I love the honest bi biographies of Scripture. It's one of the reasons we can trust Scripture. There's no fluff. There's no trying to make people look better than they are in Scripture. It just says it as it is. And I, I love that honesty in it. And I also love it because when I realize how silly and imperfect I am, when I operate with almost no faith and understanding of Jesus, he just loves us anyway. It's so refreshing. I mean, those disciples, he just kept choosing to work with. And he worked with them again and again and again. In spite of their stupidity, in spite of their stupid questions, in spite of their lack of faith, he's so kind and patient towards us. And he wants us on that same journey. As so maybe you sit and go, man, I didn't trust God here. I've made so many mistakes here. I've done this here. I've done that there. He still wants to use you. Just as he did the disciples, he wants to use us. But the woman, knowing that what had happened to her, came in fear and knelt and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This lady who had been healed was humble. She honored Jesus and she realized she was in the presence of the living God. And so she comes forward in absolute awe of being singled out from the crowd. And she, she tells him everything. He knew it all, but she probably told him, told him, Jesus, you don't understand. For 12 years I've been through this and the crowd's all around and this is what's happened and this is what's happened to me. Probably filled with tears, filled with joy, filled with, with relief, celebration, all in one. Look at his response. 
And this is why I think he wanted to single out. He could have left her healed and she would have just melted into the crowd. But his response shows why he wanted to single her out. He didn't just want her healed. He wanted her to know his heart towards her as an individual. He wanted her to know that she just wasn't a number in the crowd, but she was someone who he deeply cared about. He didn't just want her to be changed physically, but he wanted her to be healed emotionally. He wanted everyone in society to know that she was accepted, she was loved, she was clean, she was valuable. So he says daughter. Now he was probably younger than her, if you think about it. I mean, ironically, because God's eternal, he's like thousands of years, millions of years older than her. But uh, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, as a human, younger than her. But why does he use the words daughter? It shows the father heart of God. It shows she was part of his family. She was accepted. She was loved. She had been shunned by society, but she was part of the family of God. If you've been shunned by society, or if you feel you're unworthy to be here, you're always worthy to be here because it's part of the family of God. He accepts all of us. He loves all of us. And he says, your faith. Jesus loves faith. He loves it when we step out of our comfort zones for him. He loves it when we care about him more than anything else. And it's why I encourage us, particularly in our you know, upright Western culture for many of us, you know, just very prim and proper, uh, except when we watch rugby games. Um, but uh, it, it's why I encourage us with things like, let's stand, let's raise our hand, let's come to the front. The reason why I do that is because Jesus loves it when we're prepared to respond in the smallest of ways in faith. Even filling in a welcome card, signing up to serve, those are actions of faith. Because it's saying, God, I don't really know what the result is gonna be like. Who's gonna contact me? What's the next step? What's it gonna be like? It's a step of faith. And Jesus loves those things. It unlocks what he wants to do in our lives. And then he says, go in peace. She had lived in fear. She'd lived in isolation. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Do you know how that you know that if, you, if you're walking in, uh, in, with the Lord and the will of the Lord? Is you've got peace in your life. Circumstances can be a mess, but you have peace. It's what Vickers shared last week when he was saying, Jesus will either take you through the storm or he'll calm the storm within you. When you have peace, you know that you're walking in God's presence. You aren't worried about the future. You're calm in the present. You walk in freedom from the past. Peace is the place you are when you're confident in the fact that you're in the hands of a loving and all-powerful God. It's the best place to be. And then he says, be healed. But she already knew she had been healed. She already knew she'd been touched by God. He'd already healed her, but he wanted everyone to know that he had. He wanted everyone to know that she truly was changed, that he had purposefully and decisively wanted to set her free from her disease. And so what a profoundly special moment. And if you're suffering today and if you're persevering, if you're going, Lord, it's been so long. It's been years. It just doesn't seem like there's a breakthrough at all. If you feel like no one sees what you're going through, he does and he's at work. He really does, just like he saw this lady. We carry on with the next person. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, from Jairus' house, someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, don't fear, only believe. We come back to the first story, and on the way, Jairus obviously told his daughter sadly died. But Jesus says, Jairus, don't be afraid, but look to me. That's what he says to us in all of our difficulties, all our tough times. Don't be afraid, but look to me. I do the impossible. I can change earthly situations. I hold the power of life and death. I'm God. I'm here. Trust me. 
Believe in me. Put your faith in me. So verse, uh, verse 37 is a really interesting thing. It says, and he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So interesting. Jesus knew that going along with this dad and with his daughter and the family there, sure he wanted to take his closest disciples, his closest followers to see someone risen from the dead, but I think he knew there was gonna be a frenzy, which we see later, if somebody was raised from the dead and there was thousands of people there. His time hadn't yet come. He knew he had to get around a number of different areas, and so he, he does this on the quiet. He takes his closest friends who he can trust, and they move ahead to the house. Verse 38, they came to the house, of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion. People are weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but she's sleeping. And they laughed at him. There's probably tears, there would have been laughter as well, but they laughed at him, they mocked him. But he put them outside those people. So he put all the people who were weeping and wailing and, and who were mocking, and they put those people outside. He took the child's father and mother, those who were with him, his closest disciples, and they went in to where the child was. So Jairus' daughter had clearly stopped breathing. In our earthly terms, she had died. It wasn't that they didn't know that. Her heart would have stopped, no pulse. She was dead, which is why it taken people all this time to come across and tell the news. She had died. So why does Jesus say she's just sleeping? Why does he say that? I think for two reasons. Number one, Jesus is explaining that when someone dies, it's as easy for him to raise them from the dead as to wake them from their sleep. That's one. Jesus is like, I'm God. And so actually, when somebody's died, it's as if they're just sleeping to me. It really is as if they are sleeping. His power is so great that the impossible is easily possible. But secondly, Jesus wanted the crowd to think that. To think that. This is my thoughts. Could be right or wrong. He wanted the crowd to think that. Why? Because... As I said earlier, there had been so much healing. There hadn't been a lot of rising from the dead as far as we see. This is the first time we come to it in the passage. Jesus knew he still had a good chunk of ministry time. And if he was to tell this wailing crowd and everybody else, she's dead. It's okay, but I'm going to rise her from the dead. There would have just been chaos. And so a great way for him to say it is actually, guys, she's just sleeping. And then he gets her, and, and then he gets her up from her sleep. And you see he tells the same things to her mom and dad. Don't tell anybody what's happened. And he says this in many different places where the Jews are because he knew he had to get work done. And so there's two different reasons. I think the first is probably my favorite, which I think is probably closest, is Jesus saying, actually, whether somebody's sleeping or whether they're dead, it's the same for me. But they laughed at him anyway. They didn't believe, and so he asked them to leave. You see, a miracle won't necessarily make you believe in Jesus. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, to the leaders there, he said, I could do any sign in front of you and you still wouldn't believe I'm the Christ. And so miracles are great. Miracles demonstrate God's kingdom and that it's a reality, but they won't turn people to Christ. Everybody's after like the latest craze. They're after the supernatural touch. Not that many people are after Christ. Not many people wanna submit their lives to him. But when we recognize Jesus as Lord, as Jairus clearly did, it unlocks something. Last little bit before we close. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, come, come in. Kumi, that's better. Talitha, kumi. If there's a scholar, they can tell me the real one, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. I love the practical nature of Mark. 
You know, he's 12 years old, got up, started walking, and he does it again just now. They were immediately overcome with amazement. He strictly charged them that no one should know this. He told them to give her something to eat. So <laughs> I love the way he's just like going through the practicals as well. But he raises this girl from the dead. Can you imagine just as for the lady with blood in that room? Can you imagine the sense of of celebration, of wonder, of disbelief, of is this really true, has this really happened, tears rolling down their faces because they were mourning as they came into the room. Just utter amazement would have been theirs. Jairus would have gone, he really is God. The group that I'm part of, the synagogue I've been leading has just said this man is a teacher and he's a moral person, but he's actually set to destroy us. It would have changed it on its head and Jairus would have said he really is who he says he is. And I'm certain the whole family's life trajectory changed as a result of that moment with Jesus in that room. So these are two astounding stories of Jesus bringing supernatural breakthrough filled with compassion in response to desperate faith. But the central figure of all these stories is not actually those two desperate ones. It's actually Jesus who they came to. He's the central figure of the story. And you see, just as Jairus was prepared to be ridiculed by others, to see his daughter made well, and so was the lady with blood. Jesus was ridiculed by others on the cross to see us made eternally well and safe from our sin. Just as that lady's flow of blood was stopped by Jesus as she experienced supernatural healing, Jesus' blood began to flow on the cross as he was whipped before so that we can experience forgiveness of sins. And just as Jesus raised that little girl back to life, with the joy and celebration of her father by her side. God the Father raised his son Jesus to life so that we can celebrate in the power of his resurrection. See, he's the one we celebrate. He's the one that we pursue. We don't go after signs. We go after him. And as we go after him, he does signs. But we go after him. And he longs to meet us at our point of need. And some of our requests will be answered now. They'll be answered instantly or they'll be answered after 12 years like that lady. Some we'll only receive as we walk through the doorway into the next life. But Jesus will be with us through it all and him saving us from our sin is the ultimate miracle. But I want us to live in this place of expectant faith, of persevering faith, just as that lady did, just as Jairus did. And at the same time, trust in his love, trust in who he is as God. Should we stand? We're gonna pray. We always want to give God an opportunity here um, to, to speak, to, to touch, to transform. It's been so exciting over the last few weeks and months to see people giving their lives to Christ, people's lives turn around, people saying no to addiction, people experiencing healing. And that happens when we connect with and when we engage with a supernatural God. And I just shared there at the end the ultimate miracle. And the ultimate miracle is Jesus dying and rising again for your sin and mine so that we might have a relationship with him, that we might be close to him. That's the ultimate miracle. Maybe some of you today, you've never realized that and, and today you're just gonna say, actually God, I believe, just as Jairus did, just as the, the, the lady with the blood did. They, they just said, I believe. They didn't say anything special. They just believed and Jesus changed them, and he can do that in your life today.
You just have to turn. Speak to someone afterwards. Fill in a welcome card. Say, hey, I want to find out. I, I gave my life to Jesus. I asked him into my heart. I asked him to forgive me of my sin. Your life will never be the same. And we want to help you on that journey. And then maybe there's some people as well, just, just like in this story, where you're really, you're really desperate for a touch from Jesus. It might be something that you've been grappling with for years and years. It might be kind of a really present emergency type situation like that man. It might be relational. It might be emotional. It might be addictive behaviors. It might be in the marketplace. And you're just sitting here going, I actually just don't know how I'm going to put food on the table this week. I don't know what it is, but if it's you and you're going, I feel a little bit like Jairus' dad. I feel a little bit like that lady. And I'm just desperate for a touch from God. I'm desperate for a supernatural work in my life, a work in the situation. I'd love you to raise your hand. I'd love you to say, it's just a small step of faith to say, Jesus, ask me. You're singling me out in the crowd as you did with that lady, as you did with Jairus, and it's me. You can just pop up your hand. There's a few hands going up. Thanks for your courage. Thanks for your boldness. It took courage for Jairus to do that. It took courage for that lady to, to push through the crowd. If you have your hands up, Jesus wants you to know he sees you. He wants you to know he's close. He wants you to know he has not forgotten about that moment, that situation, the trial you're facing, what you're going through right now. He sees, he understands, and he's at work. And for these people who've raised their hands, Father, I pray that right now in this moment, they would experience just what Jairus and just what that lady experienced. A supernatural breakthrough right now. I pray that they experience healing in their bodies if that's what they're after. As they seek you, as they fix their eyes on you, as they come to you, the overflow of that would be a supernatural touch right now. For those after a relational breakthrough, a marketplace breakthrough. For those battling depression, those on sleeping pills here today, not able to sleep, not able to lie down, as it says in Scripture, in peace. People battling with, with, yes, addictive behaviors, but also maybe just a little bit of a crutch. Maybe it's a relationship that is a crutch. I, I, I'm in this relationship. It's not necessarily healthy, but, but I kind of need to stay because if I, if I don't break this relationship off, what have I got? And Jesus would say, bring it to me. I've got something for you. Maybe you're not actually a full-blown addict, but maybe just if you sat, you'd be honest to say, actually, maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's smoking. Maybe it's a few pills. If you're honest, you'd say, I don't think I can do a day without this. I might argue it a different way. I might say it's something else, but actually, if I'm honest, I just don't think I can do a day without it. Jesus wants to set you free. One touch from him. He's all that you need. And so, Jesus, for these people, would you do a supernatural breakthrough right now?
would you touch? Would you transform? You're the one that we love. You're the one that we come to. You're the one who loves us more than we could ever love you. You're the one who never stops working. You're the one who's always engaged in our lives. You're the one who has prepared a home for everyone who would turn to you. Right now today, he says, son, he says, daughter, I see, I care, and I'm working. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the privilege of being part of the family here. Thank you that we're all accepted. We're on different journeys. We're on different places of faith. We're asking questions. We have things we don't understand, but we're taking steps forward towards you. I pray you'd give us the courage, give us the excitement, give us the boldness today to take another step forward towards you. Your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. There is uh, tea, coffee outside. If you want to take a next step or if you want prayer or something, chat to the guys at the back. Come to the front. Meet somebody that you don't know. Uh, connect with somebody that you don't know. We can't wait to have uh, Grant and Sue with us. It's the final day tomorrow. To